True North Fantasy Football Podcast. What is up, fantasy people? Welcome back to the True North Fantasy Pod. I am Trav, chilling in Dirty Laundry Studios as always. With me, I've got Tyrell McLaughlin. Ty, what's going on, dude? Same old, same old. Actually, I'm pretty tired. I was up all night last night digging through a uh, specific database. But yeah. Yes, yes. I am uh, very excited to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, You can find me at TCL14 on Twitter. Find Ty at TNFF Tyrell. Um, we are, of course, brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight, the fastest growing DFS platform on the planet. Get in there, throw down on some player prop games. I know the football season is over, but they can't stop, won't stop over at Monkey Knife Fight. They've got NBA, college basketball, golf, NASCAR, UFC, and of course, near and dear to us Northern folk, they've got some hockey props as well. Uh, use the promo code TNFF at your first deposit and you will get an instant match of up to $50. Um, yeah, that promo code again, TNFF, you turn your $50 deposit into a hundred bones. So big thanks to everyone who's already signed up there. And thanks to uh, our buddy Nick and the crew over at Monkey Knife Fight. Really loving the partnership with them and, and lots of good stuff coming for Monkey Knife Fight. But now, Ty, that the bills are paid, we are fired up up for tonight's guest you uh you had a little teaser there talking about those databases and tonight we've got dave wright joining us you can find him on twitter at ff underscore spaceman you can also find him on a tale of two rivals which is a killer dynasty podcast and of course with the draft on its way find him on the rookie fever podcast as well that should be a staple in the old rotation so um yeah those can all be found on your favorite podcast platforms and dave we appreciate you coming on tonight my friend what an introduction. You get the the pro treatment, the red carpet is rolled out. I am ready to go. So this is exciting. I'm I'm really excited you guys had me on here talking rookies. The like the best part of dynasty season right now. This is this is awesome. Well, I think that's you know awesome. we'll get into it, but the the spreadsheet's kind of an invaluable resource this time of the year. And that's why I'm kind of a fanboy. So I was just so happy to have you on. And you know, on the most recent episode, like I really think the rookie fever is a must leading up like right around this time of the year. And I love that. You said uh, caramel properly on the most recent episode. I noticed uh, one of your co-hosts uh, was saying it like Shaq. He was saying caramel. Well, you know, I'm from Maine, so me pronouncing anything right—that's a—that's that's something <laughs> special. So, I mean, gosh, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm repping the home state. I, I guess we're not just uh, in the backwoods, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> we're. Uh, we're no strangers up here to pronunciation questions. Um, we, we get that a lot being being from Canada. Apparently, um, you Southerners really like our accent for some reason. But I always say to that, what accent? I don't even have one. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, that all about. Uh, <laughs> so, Dave, I know I can speak for Ty as well when I say that your database work is some of the best that we have ever used as a data resource. Um, I know you offer some really good stuff for free, but I really want you to talk about your Patreon because you've got a lot of really good stuff on there. Um, more than just spreadsheets as well. You've got your rankings, you've got some video content. Why don't you talk a little bit about what's on the Patreon and uh, where the people can find it? So most of the Patreon is free. So I, I just, it's a place for me to put all of the, all of the spreadsheets because it gets 
having various links on Twitter, it's kind of difficult for people to find it. So the idea was I'll keep people were asking me to create a Patreon, so I did. But it's got every database on there. It's got the rookie da- the the big rookie database with over two thousand players. It's got the NFL database, which is for the Patreon, which is goes all the way back to two thousand nine. That um, from two thousand nine to twenty twenty, and it has every stat you could possibly think of. Um, at air yards, target share, Whopper. That I get excited just talking about Whopper. Yeah, that's in there. Um, mm-hmm. Every player who scored a point in a season is in that database. So I, I really, that's my go-to. That's my biggest resource that I use a lot. And then also I use my weekly database in season that I also use a lot. That's there. But then there's all kinds of other stuff that gets kind of boring. I don't want to, it, it's, it's a problem when you talk spreadsheets too much to stop like an episode or a first date. It's, it gets a little boring. So I don't want to get too, too uh, <laughs> over, talking too much about spreadsheets but then i also do some videos where i usually it's about whatever i'm preparing for for the week for a podcast or an article and but the last couple weeks it's just been about process so i'm really been thinking about trying to i like to put out a lot of free data because i want people to be able to do this stuff for themselves have all the materials that they want in all one place but i need to, I'm, a, I'm an amateur i'm not like a, some statistician i didn't go to school for to be a stats guy so I'm just trying to learn like everyone else, but I want everyone to have the same tools I do. So that's kind of what's what goes on over at the Patreon. Yeah, teach a man to fish. I uh, I honestly, I think you couldn't do a better job at doing a lot of that. Really, the Patreon, some of those videos, even talking through uh, some of the stat stuff, I, I, I take away something that I didn't know before every time. And what I did, you know, just a personal recommendation for listeners out there is you can always condense people's spreadsheets. So somebody like Dave writes, like his is so awesome, but it is pretty intimidating to be honest. So what you can do is just strip it down and take what you want out of it when you make a copy or whatever. Uh, it's a it's a good little tip for people to get into the get more comfortable just kind of navigating and filtering through spreadsheets. But uh, the prospect one is kind of you know I love that you talk you're you're kind of in process mode. That that's where we all are at this point of the off season. That's why we all love it. And I think the prospect database is just like I said an invaluable resource for for process and. You know, the NFL one is great, but we are on the topic of rookies tonight. And yeah, I mean, for our listeners, this spreadsheet, it allows you to filter for so much. It is unbelievably customizable. It's also like an outlier finder. My favorite part is that you actually track fantasy finishes once prospects enter the NFL, which makes it kind of a a hit rates machine. Like some of the things you can do just for our listeners, I like, for example, I use it to see draft capital versus fantasy finishes in the past. I look at it for, you know, obviously production profiles, historical data, player comp, stuff like that. But I love that you have stuff like conferences in there, Dave. So you can see the relationship strength the schedule has with fantasy football finishes and stuff and how it all differs kind of by position. So I just love it. It's why it's such a treat to have you on right at this time of the year. And I think you're a perfect person to kind of ask these tougher questions. So as we all kind of just wade into the rookies here, what are a few stats or metrics that are some of your biggest boxes to check for prospects? Maybe for, so, for wide receivers and running backs, maybe. So first off, I said, you know, early on, I said that, you know, spreadsheet talk isn't that exciting, but I'm a little flush here. And you talk about all the different things you can do with a database. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, goodness, I'm out of breath. Here, let me catch it. So Meow. it really is. It, it, it really will. It's a time sucker, but it's so much fun if you like that nerdy stuff. And then you can find, uh, you, you just end up with a better take on someone like Anthony McFarland last year than other people have. The idea is, hey, you want to see if something matters, it's in there. If you want to know what, what, like, re- do returns matter? Like, do kick returns, punt returns, do they matter? Do uh, scrimmage yards matter? Do Does draft capital, does age, do, how many years you're in, in school, 
Um, does BMI matter? Does 40 time matter? Speed score? Everything that you could think of, you can test it in there. That's the, It's a raw database. It's, I'm not saying that this stat matters. This one doesn't matter, but it's got everything in there. So I, so that's what I find exciting about it. But what, so if I was to boil it down to myself, what do I like to use, especially for running backs and wide receivers? I would probably say that I care most about, uh, so a lot of stat nerds, they like to take all these different stats that they find valuable in their models or whatever and boil it down to a single metric and have, they have like a, a pre-draft score and they can rank it and then that's their prospects. I'm, I'm still an amateur and the way I go about prospecting is I want to see the different ways players do things. Where, did they do it at a young age? Did they do it when they were older? Were they consistent? When did they break out? Did they were they high volume producer? Were they only a single year producer? Were they did they start off strong and fade? So I kind of like to paint a picture of what what it is and how I do that is with usually with team stats like market share type stats like the percentage of their college offense or how many yard like scrimmage yards they had per attempt on offense. Those are my go tos that I really care about. And then what I do is I look at that, you know, like I said, like when did they do it? At what age did they progress? Uh, and then I look at how does that stack up against successful NFL wide receivers? How's that su- uh, stack up with other college prospects on their teams, like in college? And then how does that, and also like, how does that compare to their college conference? Like some conferences are more offensive minded, some are defensive minded. So how does that stack up against, so I can adjust because the problem that I think a lot of people, when they first start looking at prospects are they like, oh, they had a thousand yard season. They had 20 touchdowns. Well, if you did that on the best offense in college that are in the, in the whole NCAA, you got to weight that. And so that's what I like about percentage stats of your offense or market share stats, because you can then compare them to other prospects and prospects from previous seasons in college. And that's kind of how I do it. So that's basically the two main stats I do. And then for running backs, I really care about attempts per game how many receptions they had so I can try to see if they're a three down back or not. And then I think that kind of covers most of it um, for running backs and wide receivers. So a lot yeah, there. I hope, I'm, I hope I, that was pretty clear for you guys. I don't know. No, it really was. Then, you know, we'll get into some of that when we're talking some of these prospects later, but I, I loved what you said about, you know, you, you're, you're kind of relying on what these college teams showed us and that's, you know, how much faith they have in certain players in certain situations. And uh, I like how you talk about, you know, a lot of people, do these algorithms and everything. And it's always pretty similar. It's a box checking exercise that you weigh different things differently for different positions and different player types and skill sets. So I, I, I love what you said there. And uh, you know, this running back class that we're going to hit shortly sort of highlights that like we have a smaller group of guys as a whole, I think. And so I care more about efficiency metrics like yards per touch and uh, explosive play metrics. They're pass catching chops. Um, Dave, do you think there's any stats that, stand out to you that get overused or used improperly or even just a metric you like less than others? Yeah. So essentially raw stats are pretty, you know, if they had a thought, sometimes like, Oh, look how many a thousand yard scenes they had in college or how many touchdowns they had. Touchdowns are pretty variable. Just like when we talk about in fantasy in the NFL in college, it's also variable. Now touchdowns do matter and they do have sub signal, but the problem is they're, they are pretty variable or are volatile, I should say. So it's tough to rely on them too much. So I, I, I like to look at touchdowns because I think when you're getting touchdowns, it, it does indicate, you know, you points matter in football games and how your offense is, how they're allocating, who's scoring 
matter. So I care. I just don't care as much as others because there's other stats that are more predictive, like market share, like yards per attempt. And then another, so I, I despise yards per carry because it's really, it doesn't really tell you what you think it does. Now, a good way to, to look at yards per carry is what I have a stat in the database that is yards per carry compared to the team average. So if one back has actually a high amount, uh, like a like 1.8 yards per carry over the team average, then I'm like, okay, that's pretty, that, that means they are more efficient. They're a team. So they are, it is a skill that I care about, but those are kind of what I Beside that and the raw stats, like just yardage, but a good way to really quickly fix raw stats is just divide by how many games they played. Receptions mm -hmm. per game especially played, in especially in college, is so easy. Now, I wish I had targets. Now, player profile has targets. I'm not 100% sure how they find their target share stuff, but I can't, yeah. I can't get reliable targets in data going back to 2000, 2003. Even for like small schools, I want to try to have a level playing field how I mm -hmm. how I measure these players to pass players. So I I don't use target share. So receiving yards per or receptions per game played is just a quick way to adjust any counting stat. If you just put a per game played after it, it's just an easy fix. Yeah, like it really is the beauty of of the spreadsheet, right? Like the historical data being able to compare it all and uh see how successful some similar players in the past have been at, at the NFL level for fantasy owners. Um, but yeah, that is getting ahead of ourselves kind of Trav. That's why, you know, we are going to talk some process-based stuff. I mean, we talked earlier Trav about taking sort of a granular approach, making sure we, we get some good to know info out there uh, going into any NFL draft. I think it's just important. So yeah, uh, I know you have a good question or two, so take her away. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that was all really good. And especially like, for for myself dave who um i'm a few years into to deep analysis so um, i'm just starting to like hit my prime for like soaking all this stuff up and um that's part of why i appreciate you coming on and i appreciate you putting out the content that you put on um one thing i'm curious about though is pre-draft when you're looking at these guys you set your you know your first set of rankings for these players uh leading up to the draft there's news there's pro days um i'm curious as to pre-draft how how much you usually change your rankings after you've got your first set like in a normal year we would have a combine which could be an influencer um is does that stuff affect your ranks pre-draft very much so the combine is significant for a couple of different ways it for running backs, I really I do care about forty times. I care about I don't. You can't really find a lot. So if we were to to decide what is predictive of NFL success for running backs and and wide receivers and specifically wide receivers, actually I'll just focus on wide receivers for a second. If like Harvard, like Harvard's analytics did a study, countless people have done studies. Why uh, wide receiver athletic measurables do not matter. They, like mm -hmm. it's terrible. It's a, so it's it's better to just look at the production because you're getting because and when I say it does does not matter I think it matters to an extent but we don't have a way to measure it to make it matter because I think if we were to break it up to slot receivers to big play receivers to field stretchers to to close to line of scrimmage receivers and then compared their athletic measurables we could find that it matters but the way that we have it set up right now it's really difficult to to say that it matters except for one stat height adjusted speed score which just mm -hmm. takes the player's height compare uh, i forget the exact calculation but it's like the at 
uh, for, I'm not even going to get into it, but eight, base height, height divided by 40 times essentially with some kind of weighted um, inches, like some kind of weight to it. And height adjusted speed score does matter for wide receivers. So I do care about their 40 time to for um, adjusted for height, but the combine I care, I do care about the, their measurements. I don't care much about BMI for anything. BMI is overrated. Um, if you look at BMI, it actually mirrors the the player sample. So there's not a lot of running backs that enter the NFL with a BMI under 27. Well, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of running backs in the NFL who were successful with a BMI under 27. It doesn't it doesn't stand. So it's just it matches the sample. So that indicates that it's actually not really doing anything. Yeah, there's not a lot of guys who are successful under 27, but it's a small, it's a sample size issue, not a does the stat matter issue. Um, I'm getting a little over all over the place here, but combine, I care about the size because, like, uh, if a running back's 220 pounds, that does tell me that they are more likely to have a three down workload, but it doesn't tell me that how good they're going to be. It just kind of profiles how they're going to play in the NFL more likely than. How successful so it, it paints that how they play type thing and just like for height for receivers and they're that it kind of tells me that it doesn't tell me how good they're going to be so i care about that but besides that i think probably the biggest one of the biggest harms for people's prospect their their process is waiting combine too much but I, it, it is important just it's overweighted in my opinion and a lot of people i think agree as well in the uh who are more number inclined than i am so that's kind mm-hmm. of the big thing. And that's kind of like, I think it's, that's about it for pre-draft process. Yeah, no, I like that. And uh, you don't have to worry about uh, going off in these directions. It's like listening to poetry here, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, that's good. No, it's, uh, it's sweet to hear how your process goes because, um, you know, we respect what you're doing out there. Um, and, you know, I kind of think it bears out in, in the work there. Now we're looking at post-draft though, uh spaceman i always like i know your dave your name's dave but i always just want to call you spaceman because i think that's a badass nickname um so if i call you spaceman then that's just uh i'm a nickname guy um, so looking after the draft and obviously draft capital is um a big piece and landing spot is a big piece um so can you tell us how how you use those to adjust values in players after um, and if there's things that you're looking for in maybe a landing spot or some draft capital for like wide receivers and running backs. So draft capital is the most predictive thing that we have for running backs and wide receivers that I have in the database. It's the goal for my pre-draft process is to beat draft capital. That's kind of like the the standard for any process is try to just to get better than the NFL does. That's kind of what you're trying to do. So that just shows you how important draft capital matters. Uh, the way I kind of look at it is I break it down to rounds one through three. If you get rounds one through three capital, then that's that checks a box for me. Now, yeah. first round draft capital matters more, but I'm not going to write a player off because they have third round draft capital. I'm going to mm-hmm. write a, I am, I, if they're someone that I was high on and they get six round draft capital, I'm going to lower them down my rankings. I'm still going to like them, but I'm not going to have them in my top five wide receivers, for example. So it really, so draft capital really matters. And the goal is once you have that draft capital is to try to figure out a process where you can combine different metrics together and improve on draft capital once you get that. So that's kind of how that process works. I was just going to say, like, we have to accept teams evaluations too, like even after, like, 
you know, whether we agree with it or not, I think it can be an important. Also, you know, I've thought about this a lot this offseason. Like, these NFL teams get to work these players out. They get inside scoops from coaches and teammates. So just because we haven't seen them do something on tape, uh, on the stat sheet, doesn't mean they can't. Or if we have an open-ended question about a player, right? Thinking like Justin Jefferson last year, Trav. What I'm saying is draft capital, the way an NFL team evaluates or invests in a player, it can definitely uh, change my mind. And we all know how important it is to – to shift gears quickly in fantasy in lots of different ways uh, and prospect evaluations, definitely, definitely one of those ways. The thing about um, the NFL is when I'm this weird fantasy football nerd, who's in my basement playing with spreadsheets, the I'm playing checkers. These NFL teams have all, they have the real information. They've got the things they've got there, what they have to work with for numbers and for insider information and for scouting information is just blows whatever we can have out of the water. So that just shows you when you can use draft capital to kind of, it's an aggregate or it kind of, uh, it's a stand-in for that. Draft capital is a stand-in for the information that they have. Now, do NFL teams get it wrong? Yeah, they do. And so the idea is I take their input and then mix it together and try to beat it. And one thing I did not answer in your question is landing spot. I think landing spot is tricky because... Last offseason, everyone was talking about how, how important off landing spot was. If I'm sure you guys remember the conversation, oh, landing spot, landing spot, landing spot. Look, oh, cheap. Clyde and JT, told- right, Ty? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clyde really then, hammered that one home. Yeah. And, but then you say, this offseason, everyone's saying, well, I learned last season that landing spot doesn't matter. I just think you have to gauge it appropriately. And it's tough to do it because it changes so rapidly. But I'm going to, in my process, I want to... I care more about the production profile than landing spot. That's how I landed on AJ Brown. That's how that like I want player. I care more about the skills than I do. Um, I care more about the profile than I do landing spot because what we think we know about landing spots changes rapidly. Mm-hmm. What could happen in two years? Yeah. I, no one's first. I mean, it's the pandemic is a very bad example of we couldn't predict the pandemic. Okay, or pandemic, of course we couldn't. But could we? Um, could we predict that? Um, Tom Brady wasn't going to be was going to be on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in, in last season before that all went down. Nobody predicted that for Tampa Bay mm-hmm. for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. So it just shows you how rapidly it can change. So when I'm I I'm I'm trying to predict a prospect three years down the road when they're hitting their prime, I care more about the talent than I do what's going on on the NFL team. Oh, I was just going to say, Ty, why don't you kick us into some of these players because I'm stoked to t- start talking about them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, really quick. Um, one of the basic questions I did want to make sure we're asking like important prefaces for every upcoming draft is knowing how strong the class is at each position, right? Like just like an NFL team, we want to know how we're going to have to address our team needs for our fantasy team. Is it going to be the rookie draft, be a trade? And we know rookie pick value can roller coaster. Like picks are far more valuable in this mystery box form that we're in right now. So knowing the class as a whole can help you decide what your plan is going to be with those rookie picks. And, you know, I just think it has to factor into your offseason template, no matter what that template looks like. Um, and I don't mean just, you know, you might be more or less likely to trade your first round pick, for instance, but you can make sharp moves like trading out for multiple seconds or something because we've started to identify those tiers. And you can think back to what Dave was mentioning when guys like AJ Brown and Nick Chubb were dropping to second rounds of rookie drafts. So getting to these running backs, uh, lots of people seem pretty down on this running back class. So Dave, 
what do you think? What are your thoughts on this 2021 running back class as a whole? Wait, there are running backs in this class? I didn't know that. Yeah, actually. apparently. Uh, so my, I kind of like to, my dynasty strategy mirrors, it's important how I view my overall dynasty strategy mirrors how I approach rookie drafts and how I do my prospecting. I really value years one through three, one, th- one through three of my running back production. Um, there's been studies and I'm actually doing one, I'm doing a little writing up something right now about how, running back scoring is early on compared to later on in their career, especially for the top 12 running backs. Um, I want to hit that, that high where they're scoring the most fantasy points where that value doesn't mix up because once that value hits what they're actually producing, I'm not getting the same ROI per se, or, or I'm not maximizing value. So then I sell it once the production matches the value and I move on. I start my process all over again. That was a really quick version of that. But the idea is that, why I mentioned it is because I really value running backs in rookie drafts because I can a rookie pick 103, 104 is less valuable than a Dalvin Cook or a or an Alvin Kamara once they're once they're in their prime, sco- becoming far and away the RB one or RB two in, in a season. So I want to try to hit them early. But this year is this is the first year where I've come across and I have not there's I'm not in love with the running backs. Now there's some good there's some decent picks, but there's and I'm not saying that they can't be good, but they're just the overall profile of this bunch is not as exciting as it was last year. Last year, I'd say there was, I could say with definite, there were four running backs in last year's class that I would take before any of these running backs. Uh, as just from a profile production, not even thinking about what they did in the NFL last year. So that just gives no, you kind of an idea of where this running back class stacks up. Yeah, and it, you start to think that there's probably not going to be a ton going in those top three rounds. And we mentioned how important that is. And I have the numbers here. Like, if you look at all 120 running backs, top 12 in the last 10 years in PPR scoring, 35% of them were drafted in the first round. Almost 25% of those seasons were running backs drafted in the second round. 17.5% went in round three, meaning over three quarters of all top 12 running backs in the past 10 years were drafted in the top three rounds of the NFL draft. So it definitely is important and it's definitely shaking out like a, a, a pretty suspect class, but getting into these names, I want to start with uh, the pair of backs who will flirt with maybe first round draft capital. Maybe I'm being a little optimistic there, but Dave, are you team Najee Harris? Or are you team Travis ATN or other? I'm team. I have not made a decision yet on Najee Harris or ATN. They are both. They are probably my one and two backs in this class. I might lean ETN, but then I have some film people telling me ETN has a couple holes in his game that just some more question marks than just the date because there's holes in his data profile or his call his production profile too. So I w- I'm more inclined to like ETN, but Harris had I, I then I go back and I look at Harris too, and I just go back and forth. So that that was you put me on the spot there about who I was going to rank one or two, but <laughs> they're tied. So that's kind of a cop out for me right now. Um, no, and I'm with you. I see both arguments for sure. And if you, do you want to guys we'll just dive right into Harris or what, what, what do we want to do here? Yeah, go for it. What do you, yeah. Um, give me your thoughts on that. So, so like, so he's got the size. That's the first thing he's got the size to be a, to handle some, a, a workload in the NFL, a majority workload in the NFL, which is a check mark for me. Cause that's, I, that just talks about possible ceiling. And he also has a season where he caught 43 passes. I believe last year was the year he caught 43. He had 43 receptions. That also talks about upside because if you can catch the ball and you can handle a decent workload, 
that just talks about your ceiling and being a three down back. And that is what is attractive about Najee Harris is that he had um, almost 19 rushes per game. I think over 19 rushes per game in his senior season, which is bell cow level. That excites me. And he also had 30 TDs. I'm trying to think. Yeah. 30 touchdowns um, total last season. So he can get it done. The problem with Najee Harris is, is that he did it in age 22. That's why did it take till age 22? Now I understand that he played at Alabama with Josh Jacobs and Damian Harris, and that they're always getting four or five star recruits for the running back position. But last season, his junior season, there wasn't much competition. The same competition that was there last season was there this year. And he only had 16 carries per game. Didn't have as many receptions and half as many touchdowns. And ultimately, age doesn't matter as much for running backs as it does for wide receivers. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, if I'm taking a top five rookie pick in Superflex on this player, I want to have just a little bit more confidence. Maybe draft capital solves that, and I can just take, I and just I don't have to like hem and haw over it. If he gets day, like one or two round draft capital, I'll feel a lot better and say, okay, give me Najee Harris. But that question mark of, at this point in my process, I'm not in love with Harris. Yeah, totally. I think like I I like him just because he is elusive. He makes people miss at that size. He's definitely a plus pass catcher. I mean, over 700 yards in the past two seasons at Alabama in the receiving game. And another thing you can do with Dave's prospect spreadsheet, guys, is pull up these running backs and you could compare everyone from this class. But you could also look in here and I'm seeing that Najee Harris's 15 receiving touchdowns in his college football career is tied for the fourth most by any running back prospect since 2003. So I, I, I was really impressed that I, I guess I didn't realize how impressive he was in the passing game. I know some of those touchdowns are pretty hard to rely on when he's playing in a pretty historic offense last season, but just the fact that he was able to do it and that Mac Jones was looking for him uh, when it, when it came in close there, uh, like if I'm obligated to give my RB one right now, because like like you said, Dave, I'm kind of tied right now. But I, I think I would be Najee just because I'm more confident at this stage that he's going to get that solid draft capital. I'm I'm less confident in saying that with Travis ATN. Uh, Any yeah, like you were saying, he just there. stands out as yeah because he I think he is going to be valued as sort of the the only guy in this upper tier who has that bell cow size and is also a highly touted prospect as opposed to a Javante Williams or something. So. Size, speed, hard to bring down, and the receiving upside for sure. But I still, I still love ATN too, and I, I think he's a pretty big target for fantasy owners too. Cosine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, like I just think if you're desperate to find like the Alvin Kamara, or Christian McCaffrey, if you're desperate to find that guy, I think everybody's going to point to ATN, and uh, just because he was so dominant out of the backfield. And I think you know a lot of these running backs like. I just think we're getting into the systems, you know, schemes outside run zone schemes that every team seems to be running these days. And uh, yeah, I just think he'll fit right into one of those offenses. Um, but I want to get some more of these names in the universe. So first up is Javante Williams, a big 220 pound back, the thunder in that Tar Heel backfield, uh, more rushing yards, receiving yards and touchdowns in 2021 than he had in his previous two seasons combined. So, Dave, are you on this train? Because Javante Williams has really elevated his stock after that big final season. So, I yes, I am in on he's my he's my running back three at this point because he's got now the issue with Javante Williams or even Michael Carter, who's in the same backfield as Javante Williams at UNC, 
is that they they shared a backfield together, so they might have capped each other's ceiling. But I'm not going to explain it away here when I just was poo-pooing on uh, Najee Harris. So I think that Michael Carter limited Javante Williams' ceiling. But the thing is, even with Michael Carter there, he's got the size. I think he might – I don't know. I, I think what I've what I've read is that he might be 215, 220 probably yeah, uh, as, sure, as far yeah. as size. And he did it – so first off, and he's only played three years. He did it as a true freshman – as a sophomore and a junior. So he's young. He did it at a young age, which again, doesn't matter as much, but it's still impressive when you're playing against as a running back to play against other established older players who have put on the muscle and who have been in the system to, to do what he's done. But his touch, his touch is, is limited. He only had 14.3 attempts per game is in his final season. But the big thing is, and this is Zach Reed's thing. So I'm co I'm, I really, I really uh, appreciate Zach, what he says, 25 reception. I think he actually does 20, but for me, 25 receptions is a threshold that really matters. And he hit that with Michael Carter in the backfield. So that just shows me that he's got the size. He's He was a goal line back, scored 19 touchdowns, like you mentioned. And he, and he has the receiving ability. So he does hit those three. He can possibly be a three down back. Now it's more of a projection because he didn't do it in college, but he has that potential Whereas the only other player that I would probably, I could consider at three would be Chuba Hubbard or Chuba. I, I, I uh, get confused there a little bit how to pronounce it, but <laughs> no, I, I, just, I think we're all sorry. Sorry. I just wanted to go back to Travis Etienne for a moment because I, I, I don't yeah. think I gave him enough credit as a home run hitter. He, he did. Yeah. He only had 14 attempts similar to Javante Williams per game in his, in his last as for his high, but ETN, what happened last year, you guys remember the T Higgins discussion a little bit, how he was kind of discounted when you were comparing him to the other wide receivers in that class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of that was because he didn't have the production numbers because what Clemson was doing is they were blowing teams out of the water and they were sitting ETN. They were sitting um, T Higgins for those, for large portions of the game. Second half. Sometimes I'm not sure if ETN was getting more than three carries in a second half for a lot of games because they were just sitting him. And that is sometimes when I will take that information and manually adjust these things because he did have 70 career rushing touchdowns. Najee Harris, I think only had uh, 46 rush uh, career rushing touchdowns. ETN had 70, which is just, that's incredible. He averaged 21 points per game PPR in, in college and 37 receptions and 48 receptions his final two seasons. He's got that, he now is he going to be a three down back? Possibly not. Probably not. But he definitely has it where he'll be active on third down. He can score touchdowns. He's going to be a weapon, and he can score from anywhere. So that's I think the the plus side for ETN that I just want to throw in there because I I don't want to to make people think that um, I was hating on him too much. Totally, yeah. And you know we we alluded to efficiency with some of these smaller backs that we're going to be honed in on and. He definitely uh, displays that in uh, in spades. It's insane, like just some of his yards per touch numbers and everything. So definitely on board there with ATN. I think we're all kind of really have come around on Javante uh, Williams as well. I mean, he was top five in yards after contact, top five in 15-plus yard carries this year. Also forced the most missed tackles in 2020, uh, according to PFF as well. Um, and, you know, I have a little bit of concerns about him with long speed Javante Williams just because uh, the big plays were such a big part of his success in college. You always want to – make sure that 
you know, that's one that if you, cause like you're saying about combine, like we're kind of just setting thresholds. Like if he was to run slower than four, six, maybe I would be worried. If he runs anything faster. I have zero concerns about his long speed really. And uh, getting into the next guy here, because you know, Javante Williams, is going to come down. I think you're going to get a steal in rookie drafts. If he catches passes in the NFL, if he doesn't, it's going to be nebulous or whatever. But uh, the next guy is definitely going to catch passes at the next level. Kenneth Gainwell, come on down. So, Dave, Kenneth Gainwell from the recent running back factory in Memphis, also known for the run schemes and running everything out of shotgun. Um, he's also one of the running backs. I, uh, you know, he, he sat out the entire 2020 season. while guys like Javante Williams blew up, but for the next level, what we have here is what looks like a satellite back. So where do you stand on running backs like Gamewell, Dave, because the fantasy community seems to really like them happens with a lot of these types of running backs. And you have to ask sometimes if, we like them more than more than the NFL teams will. Yeah, you, you, I think you put that perfectly. Um, from a just looking at his production, his fifty-three receptions or fifty-one, yeah, fifty-one catches in his really he only had really one season. He only played four or something games in his age nineteen season. And that one season that he had fifty-one catches is pretty special for a running back. And I was talking to my friend Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies podcast and who did a, a lot of film work on him and he has the ability to catch back shoulder pa- patches out of this out of the slot. So, it's not like he's just catching dump offs. He can run routes and has the ability while running downfield to to catch it back shoulder, which is a pretty impressive skill for a running back. But let's throw some water on that on that fire a little bit and just say that he might be only in the 185 pounds. Like that might be realistic. Now I've seen other things where he's hundred could be 195, 191 pounds. And maybe in this year that he had off and it wasn't like he just opted out because he had a good season. He had four relatives to pass away from COVID. So it wasn't like a, um, I had one good season and I, and I'm just going to bank on that in the NFL. So this man, he, or this young man had a, a lot of trauma. So I just want to put that out there, but he, what's special about Gainwell is he does it all. He does it catching the ball. He had over 600 receiving yards. If I remember correctly, he had 2000 all purpose yards in that one season and did have 16 attempts per game, which is pretty decent for a guy of his size and could handle the load draft capital, draft capital, draft capital is going to be the big telltale sign. And also his Mm weigh-ins are going to be important, but in at this part of the process, when I'm just checking off things, because I, I don't have a weight anywhere in my database for him because I don't, I don't have a weight for any of these prospects yet. I'm just doing hearsay and I don't trust any college reports or whatever like that uh, from teams. So, but from what I've seen from his yardage standpoint, from his yards per attempt standpoint, his receiving ability, he's scored a lot of touchdowns as well. He analytically is exciting and that's probably going to be tempered a little bit, but he could be, I thought for a second he was going to be a steal in rookie drafts because everyone was poo-pooing his size, but people are still putting him in the yeah. early second round. I think once we have him weigh in, or if he doesn't get the draft capital, if he goes later in the second, early third round of rookie drafts, I'm still hopping over him there because he could be one of those players that if he gets uh opportunity because of an injury or you know the, the lead back goes down in some kind of committee, he could carry you for four or five weeks because of injury and just, and gain more of that opportunity share. And that, that's the total upside is what you mentioned. Like, should he be split out to the slot by his, you know, weaponized by a, a team who drafts him in this age of 
positionless football. I think that's super interesting. And Memphis recruited gain uh, recruited Gainwell as a wide receiver. He also, I think he played quarterback in high school, if I remember. Um, and yeah, I think it'll come down to like landing spot, draft capital, pass protection for guys who, who hope to be in there on third down. Um, another guy who's somewhat similar, but I think it's interesting how much lower he is on almost every set of rankings is Michael Corder. He is the aforementioned teammate of Javante Williams. And Mr. Carter out of North Carolina has a lot of similar drawbacks that Kenneth Gainwell comes with from like a, you know, a typical prototype running back standpoint, back-to-back 1000 yard seasons rushing for this kid. And he had the most big plays on the ground, most 15 plus yard carries this past season. And for a little guy, he was hard to bring down. He forced lots of missed tackles, put up some yards after contact too. Um, But Dave, what say you, do you think Michael Carter is another running back destined to be just a, a change of pace guy at the next level? My heart or my brain is telling me, I should, my brain is telling me most likely he's not going to be the, I, I have a hard time seeing him being a lead in a committee type role. I think he's going to be the, the third down back slash just the secondary running back on a team. If maybe as a ceiling, I don't know, but that's kind of what my mind tells me. But then I think he came in over 200 pounds of the senior bowl. If I remember correctly. He was able to split carries with Javante Williams, who had him in size, who, and to be able to do that is impressive. So as another NFL caliber back, he split the opportunities down the middle. So that shows you something, what his college team thinks about him. And then the most important thing that jumps off the, the page for me is three seasons over 20 receptions, two with 25 receptions. So he does more profile as the RB2, but that receiving four is attractive. Kind of, and I like similar to what Gainwell, I was kind of saying like how he could come in and spell for instance, he could be that Giovanni Bernard who the Joe Mixon goes down and you can rely on Michael Carter. However, Gio was a better prospect, honestly, but yeah. uh, Michael Carter, I it's tough to get exciting about him, but I'm sure as I learn more about him in the process too, because I'm just looking at a spreadsheet, there could be, there are positives people. I mean, there's some people that I've been talking to that said that he was the better back in that backfield last year. I'm not sure if I agree, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's, he's an interesting, I just think it shows you compared to last year, how quickly these backs are falling off here. We've found, we're talking about a lot of holes at this point. And we're, this is what the fourth running back we've talked about. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's pretty, that's kind of depressing. Yeah. And they're pretty small guys, too, because, you know, I'm getting to efficiency because he was a very efficient guy on his touches. And that's another thing in the database, by the way, the prospect profile or prospect database is uh, fantasy points per touch, by the way, like that as well. And that's another where ATN just jumps off the page, by the way. But so does Gainwell and Michael Carter. So they kind of uh, they get overshadowed a bit. And frankly, Michael Carter is below those two and a lot of those efficiency metrics. But. Michael Carter does have that ultra young breakout age, by the way, as well. Um, Speaking of breakout, let's go to Chuba Hubbard, taller, skinnier back out of Oklahoma State, a polarizing guy in fantasy circles. Um, What the hell are we doing with them? What the hell is he doing playing college football last year? Um, Like actually, though, Dave, like what do we do with a guy like this with somebody who had over 2000 rushing yards and over 20 rushing touchdowns in 2019 and then comes back and puts his final season on paper that he did last year? In my opinion, Chuba Chuba, whatever he is called, whatever he goes by, the the running back from Oklahoma State, uh, he has the highest ceiling, in my opinion, in this class. I think he he had 
a C, he was the only back in this class that that well the of the people that we're talking about tonight anyway who averaged who had a season of over 20 attempts per game he had 25 per, attempts per game in that se- that special season that just shows you he can handle the load over 2000 like you said over 2000 yards from scrimmage that season and then the touchdowns but then he's had two seasons over 20 receptions that shows me that he's got that three down potential which is exciting now I've heard people like Katie Flower on, she came on and talked to Mike Finero for the rookie fever. And she said, maybe he's not quite the three down, but he could be definitely be the, the lead in any type of split backfield, like maybe a 60% to 40% types opportunity share. That's excites me because he, he has the, the sprint ability. Now, is he Canadian? I believe, right? You know it, you know it. Come on, guys. I should have led with this. So that's why he's the RB1. Woo. He was almost an Olympic style athlete for Canadians track team, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, and I, so I should mention that, that, you know, he's got that, that's a big plus in any prospect profile. I should actually put a comma in the database for that. <laughs> is, is he uh, Canadian or not? Because I think that helped Cl- Chase Claypool, right? So, absolutely. Yeah. So Play there stole, we go. Claypool is thunder, though. It was like only one, you know, super stud performance we were allowed to have by a Canadian last year, skill player wise. So Chuba's going to take the the reins. He's going to carry the torch for Canadians this year. That's that's my feeling. I he's the best value in at this point in the process. I have been in two mocks at, where he has gone in the third round in Superflex. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Now I know that we don't have all the information. That's going to change as people get more information like draft capital and and workout metrics and yada yada. But I'm sorry, that upside is should not be found in the third round. That's he's. Mm-hmm. Pro, I think he probably goes in late first round, early second round when everything is said and done because he's got the speed. He's got everything I mentioned. He's got that, that type of upside is special. And then if we want to say, well, why, like potentially you can explain it away. And this is, I like to supplement the numbers with this is that he had, I think he didn't have a single offensive lineman return from the year before, or if he did, it was only one starting offensive lineman return from the year before. And he was dealing with some kind of injuries, I believe. And there was some turmoil mm-hmm. in the offseason with the coach. He wasn't as explosive. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to sit here and doubt his speed because it's real. I I think I'm he's the biggest – he could be that – he could win fantasy drafts people next year. That's how he – if he hits and where he's going, he's going to win people. He's going to change fantasy teams. I love it. You said upside. He's going to hit big if he hits like all the things that all the points I want to make for sure, because he might be the guy who's going to move the most uh, depending on landing spot, not even necessarily draft capital. I don't anticipate he gets drafted super high. I'll be thrilled if he squeezes into those top three rounds of the NFL draft. But my point is that with all these offenses, all are running outside zone schemes, like literally almost half the league at this point, a whole bunch of them just installed after the coaching carousel this off season. So there are literally a, a handful of offenses out there that are, you know, a bunch of them have, are desperate for running back too. And he would just be absolutely perfect in the Jets, Falcons, any system that just came in and implemented this system. I think it's, they'd, they'd be laughing if they can pick up Chuba Hubbard in the fourth round or something. And I think he could experience that confluence of events that sends him just soaring up my running back rankings, like landing spot, draft capital, everything and it. I think he really encapsulates the whole mantra that it isn't necessarily that running backs don't matter. It's that situation just matters so much more for, for 95% of running backs. But 
I digress because we're leaving Trav hanging here forever. So last guy in the running backs here is Trey Sermon from Ohio State. What are your thoughts on him? And maybe uh, feel free to throw a sleeper running back or a guy you want to plant a flag on or anything as we cap off the running backs here. So nothing stands out. I almost just said, like, let's talk about the next player because he's just really yeah, boring. Me too. He's nothing. He has one season with 14.5 rush attempts per game. He has one, a, a different season with 16 rush attempts. For me, I think what people, why he's always mentioned here and why he's so high in initial ranks is because people recognize him. The two programs he's been in in college have a lot of prime time access. He's, I think it was Oklahoma. I think he was on beforehand and now he was on Ohio state. Mm-hmm. It's tough to get. It just as he's, he probably profiles as a one or the first and second down grinder backup. Like that's what he, there's nothing that stands out to me. That's exciting at all with, with sermon. Agreed. And as far as I didn't really have one, as far as a, a running back that kind of stands out, um, yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't. There's a couple, but I'm not going to really speak to them because I don't have a, enough stuff off the top of my head. So, there are a couple. There are a couple players that you can have in later on. That uh, actually, his name's dropping for me, but he was a like a JUCO transfer, big guy. He was. He had uh, a marijuana suspension, but when he came back, he was dominant. So that's one guy that a lot of people are buzzing about. But yeah, so that there. I love kind of in my fourth round throwing darts at small school guys who ha- handle the uh, heavy work share or, and have receiving upside. That's, that's a fun mm-hmm. thing to do with my rookie picks is because if they get that, that mm-hmm. opportunity, that's, you know, you just, you can trade it and turn it into a third round pick right away. Like that's just an easy turn of profit in dynasty. Yeah. I think you no, might even really... be able to get more than, than a third round pick for some of those running backs, especially if they boom, Sometimes if you hit at the right time, people give you a second for those guys. And then if that boom flames out, you're, uh, you're reaping that reward. Okay, fellas. So yeah. And Ty, you don't have to worry about leaving me hanging my man, because I'm going to run us through the wide receivers now. So no need to worry about that. I was enjoying just listening and soaking it up because truth be told, running back is probably, uh, my favorite position in fantasy. I'm a big running back stockpiler. So I love what you said there about those start throws at the end of rookie drafts, Dave, but I'm going to take us into this wide receiver class here. Um, This is looking like a pretty deep wide receiver class. Lots of really good players, lots of good profiles. There isn't a ton of size at the top I've noticed, but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Like Ty was asking what your thoughts are on the running back class overall. Um, I'm curious to hear the same as to what you think about the wide receiver class. In my opinion, the, the wide receivers make this class. It's the deepest position in this class and it I don't think it's as good as 2020's class was. I mean, it's really hard. How are you going to have a class that was better than Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, Gabby Davis, and I'm and like that's even Jalen Rager. Yeah. There's Mims. There's all, all you can go down the list. It's really tough to beat Moody. that. Mo- Mooney was a I I Mooney, I was high on Mooney too. Like uh there was it's tough to beat this class, that class. Now people are telling me that this class is as good or better. And I think it's because these players and a lot of film people who watch the film are saying that because you have a, um, some players who aren't as dominant from an analytical perspective, but might jump off the page when you're watching the film, like a, uh, Waddle or a Devonta Smith. I mean, Devonta Smith had numbers later in his career, but 
more of the film watching community gets more excited about that than maybe someone who's looking for the earlier breakouts and stuff like that. So I think, I, you know, Ty mentioned it, but I don't think I've mentioned breakout age all freaking episode. And that's like a sin for me. I love talking breakout age and I really care about that with wide receivers. We have a lot of younger wide receivers, a lot of early declares in this class off the top. I can't remember off the top of my head, but we at least five early declares that are going to be 21 year old rookies actually five in this, just in the, the section you guys want to talk about tonight. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. impressive. And we saw that last year too, where a lot of those young guys were also the the top heavy guys like Jefferson, CD lamb, Judy and all them. Yeah. And so I, and I see here too, like it, this, this year, because of how COVID is, it is actually more difficult. This is one of the, is going to be the most difficult year since I've been playing, than I've been, doing rookie evaluation. So for like eight or eight or nine years, this is probably the most difficult year that I'm going to have evaluating rookies because of players who sat out of players who only played four games while other conferences were playing 12 games. Yeah, It's going to be, it's a tricky season. And that's why the market share, why the yards per attempt, the per game numbers Mm -hmm. and relying on breakout age. That's why this stuff is important because you can compare how they did as a percentage of their offense much easier than you can compare someone who had over 1400 receiving yards because they played a full season, someone mm-hmm. who only had 500 receiving yards. It's, it's very challenging, but the, I think the analytically, this is my favorite position to do because it's, there's so many small school guys it, and I love just, I think wide receivers, it's just so fun to plant a flag on. And it's my favorite, it's my favorite position to evaluate because there are so many different types of wide receivers. They come from so many different backgrounds and so many different types hit like Brandon. Ayuk. he wasn't a guy that I was really high on last year, but he did have the draft capital and he, and he took off. It's just fun how so many and how people from different perspectives, the film watching community, how different their evaluation process. And it just makes this experience fun because they just have such different competing points of view and it, and I just this is my favorite I love talking wide receivers so I'm excited to do this well I think a cool piece about that too you mentioned like the the film folks versus um, the data heavy guys I would consider Ty data heavy and Brandon Ayuk was his boy so I think that's another oh. cool thing about the wide receiver position is that we can we can pull different things and like you said plant flags on different guys and there's just so many more we start more in fantasy and there's just more and obviously the different profiles that can be successful like you're talking about that uh i have a lot of fun with the wide receivers too which is why i had a blast kind of getting ready for this segment so um and actually just really quick you mentioned the young recruits i just looked through um the spaceman raw database of course and it showed 13 21 year old rookies coming in next year for the 2021 draft class so that's a lot of young players so um going to be some long-standing dynasty pieces of course so getting into some of those players dave we're uh we're talking about the top two obviously jamar chase and Devonte smith they are the consensus top two um I'm curious as to how you have those two stacking up against each other as far as your rankings. And maybe if you have any other wide receivers who might be breaking into that tier for you. So at this stage in the process, Devonta Smith is not in my top two wide receivers. I have him as maybe my four or five. Hmm. I could maybe get him at three. If I really like take, 
I'm not strictly a numbers person. I take a lot, like I like, that's my first approach is I get all the, the data and I look at it from that point of view. And then I have people that I rely on, like my co-host Todd Foster, who does a lot more film, uh, Zach Reed, who I had on, on Rookie Fever recently. And he, those are, I and, and uh, J. Mike Check, those are some people I really rely on for their film analysis. And I supplement it and I take, and I see how they're, I see how they, they those two points of view mesh and I go from there. So that's why I a lot of film pe- or a lot of data people despise Devonta Smith. I'm not quite that extreme, so I'm willing to listen more with Devonta Smith. But I Jamar Chase is my far and away wide receiver one in this class. I th- I have him over the running. I love running backs. I my whole philosophy is built around running backs and rookie drafts. I'm taking Jamar Chase ahead of every other position player in this class. He is the real deal. Uh, he did at age 19 in a major uh, top five conference with serious talent on that team. He dominated across the board. Uh, and, and the big keyword is he had the 19 breakout age over 30% threshold, which is what Rotaviz lives by. I'm not necessarily sold on the 30%, but the fact that he did it, heck yeah, let's go, baby. He <laughs> has, he does it all the way that I, that he's got every stat. It, it's elite. It, when I'm thinking about, I'm not even looking at my my notes here. I'm just going off of like just uh, yeah. It's just it's it's yeah, impressive. I'm looking back at the notes here, but yeah, Jamar Chase. He is. I only need one year too from him because he did it, and he did it at a young age, and he did it with. In a, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna start repeating myself, but because he's yeah, he's far and away my number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I have Jamar Chase as number one as well. And that season was enough. That was a crazy season. He was getting targets all over the field. Um, I was checking it out today. He had over eight yards after the catch per reception on 84 receptions that season. So that is insane. Um, and he outperformed Justin Jefferson, obviously, in a prolific offense. Um, he just outdid Justin Jefferson in that season. And we saw what Justin Jefferson did as a rookie. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to be exactly mirrored by Jamar Chase, but he is the type of receiver that can put up numbers like that. So he's my one as well. I think at this point, I do have Devontae Smith as my my wide receiver too, uh, but I still have a little bit more uh, film to watch on some of these guys. And I want to dig into some more of that data as well. So I'm actually going to move into some of these next guys, Dave. A lot of people are talking about Smith. A lot of people are talking about Chase. I want to talk a little bit about Jalen Waddle. Um, major speed, not a whole lot of market share. Um, looking at the database, of course, he had some really big names ahead of him on the depth chart. And this past season, he didn't get a full season in as well. So lots of injuries for for Jalen Waddle in 2020. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, I've seen the comp, Dave, I have seen people comp him to Tyreek Hill. Um, I can see certain similarities, certain ones, but not uh, not so far that I would necessarily comp them. Is his ceiling really what we've seen from Tyreek Hill, or is that a little bit lofty, would you say? From my perspective, it is lofty. Um, I have to really squint when I see the data. So scrim yards per team play, he actually, he hits, he does not, his he does not hit the threshold. I a 0.7 career average is what I shoot for for uh scrim yards per play or yards per attempt. And that's really my mo that's my go-to. If I'm gonna brass tax time, what I'm really gonna rely on, scrim yards per play is probably the most effective production metric that I have. And I look at that career average wise, and that's really effective tool as a quick, just a easy tool. 
to use, and he doesn't hit that threshold. Now you can squint, and he does, and then you pair that with he does not have a breakout age. It is really difficult to be a successful wide receiver to not have a breakout age. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it's we're talking like 15% type. You know, you have to really, really be an outlier to hit that. Now, I will say if I was to go to a per game dominator or a per game yards per attempt for Waddle, I could make a case that he would he would have broken out this year if he had gotten injured. So I it's tough to it's pretty harsh to say that he wouldn't have broken out. So we could squint and give him that breakout age. But the thing is, is too, he I understand why people like him from a looking at on the film, why he jumps off the page and what does, and I haven't mentioned this tonight, but return ability return to returning kicks in college for running backs and for wide receivers is predictive of future NFL success. You saw people identify Antonio Brown. Uh, you got to see um, other players historically that when they're, what it does is it shows dynamism because mm-hmm. It incorporates like their playmaking ability. If your team, you you know, you're a, a a college level team, and you're picking one player to go out there and handle the ball and try to score on every single like, and change the the course of your game and field position matters and all that stuff. You're picking one player to do that, and Jalen Waddle was the one player to do that at one of the most highly prestigious uh, universities in college football. Yeah, so I do take that into account with Jalen Waddle. Unfortunately, just because there are players that I like more before I have no draft capital, even when I do no draft capital, he's going to be one of those players like, you know what? Good. I, you can take John Waddle because he wasn't going to be on my, he, I don't have him ranked as highly as other people. And that can have other players fall to me. Like maybe a Rondale Moore, a Tylen Wallace, Elijah Moore, and those type of players. Yeah, I like what you said about the uh, the return stuff there, and it kind of bears out in the example you mentioned, Antonio Brown. We used to see him light teams up on screen plays, running through an entire defense to go for touchdowns. That's his kick return ability right there, and I think Jalen Waddle definitely does have that. And another another little bit of a similarity that I saw in Jalen Waddle is that when he does have to go up for a ball, he he's pretty good at doing so for his size. And I think Tyreek Hill has a lot of that as well, the way he positions his body and just like can sky for a guy who's that height. Um, I think Jalen Waddle has a little bit of that, but I am a little bit hesitant to say that, that he has that ceiling as well, because that situation is just fantastic for Tyreek Hill as well with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reed. And uh, who's to say that Jalen Waddle is necessarily going to uh, fall into a situation like that. So Another guy you mentioned there, Dave, was Rashad Bateman. He is a curious one for me. I think one kind of thing that I'm noticing about this class is a lot of these guys are coming out from the shadow of really big name players. You obviously have, um, you know, Jamar Chase with Justin Jefferson previously and then not playing. You got the Bama guys who are always loaded atop the depth chart and then Jalen Waddell. And then Rashad Bateman was uh, behind Tyler Johnson. Um, he had a really big season alongside Johnson two seasons ago. Uh, 2020 wasn't as good, but I'm curious if you think Rashad Bateman with his size, because Tyler Johnson obviously played in the slot, um, but Bateman was moved around a little bit more after Tyler Johnson left. I'm curious if you think that Rashad Bateman does profile as an outside receiver in the NFL, or do you think he is somebody who might be suited to move around, which could be more beneficial for his fantasy production? 
So that's something that outside of my ability, really, with the numbers. Um, so because mm-hmm. it's just I just can't get that from the data that I have. I, and like I know PFF has some data that I and I can I have access to that, and that can show me a little bit more, like a dot and mm-hmm. things along that nature. But from a per, does he? He is he hits a lot of major thresholds. Three years over twenty five percent percentage of his college offense. If you average the receiving yards and receiving touched or yeah receiving touchdowns, so he hits a lot of important thresholds. Broke out at age eighteen. That's incredibly impressive. He now his volume is not like his. But then you look at his PPR points, and PPR points don't really matter as much for wide receivers as they do running backs. But he just didn't quite hit the ceiling. Never eclipsed twenty, I believe. If I'm if off the top of my head, points per game, PPR points. So I think he, if I were to say, without knowing his draft capital, knowing his conference and how he does against versus other players from his conference that are drafted, his numbers might not be as impressive as some other players here. But he's still, he's it's still pretty. Free. His numbers are his production profile is pretty good. Like there's no mm. he. He is a player that I definitely want in my, in my, as a target. I'm the thing is, is he, I'm seeing people have him all over the place. I'm having some people who like analytics. I think Peter Howard might have him as his wide receiver too. I've seen other film watchers have him as their maybe wide receiver four or five. There's a like saying that he doesn't maybe do a lot. Like he jumps and jump off the page, but he does everything well. He, he had, I think he has a, probably a nice floor in the NFL. I like his. I would like his floor and, but who's to say that he doesn't have a high ceiling as well, because he was, he just has his age adjusted production is phenomenal and he made improvements. He still, he improved or he, a little dip last year, but mm-hmm. he still made it like from year 18 to 19, he improved. And it, I like, I like me some Rondell Moore. I or not Rondell Moore. Sorry. Yeah. I do love Rondell Moore, but uh, Rashad <laughs> Bateman is, I, yeah, I, it's tough to, I just don't get quite as excited as I do about a couple of these wide receivers. Mm-hmm. I think I'm feeling the same way about him. I, from what I've watched and then the data that I've looked at, like I definitely see some versatility in him, and I hope that he does go somewhere where he could be moved around because I like his size for someone being moved around. Um, but yeah, I think the jury's still out for me so far on being able to say he is like my wide receiver three or anything like that. But I think he probably will fall within that like three to five range for me probably. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I was a big fan of Tyler Johnson coming out last year. So maybe it, maybe it turns into like a Minnesota wide receiver things, just like those Memphis running backs tie. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I hope he can do it. Cause he, he does look like he could be a really good player if he's given the touches. You talked about this next guy that you really, really like Dave, that's Rondale Moore. Um, this guy's fast. He's a little undersized, but he, you know, he has a sick game. So I just want, I just want to not even ask you any specific question. I just want you to talk about, about Rondale Moore and your thoughts on him. So he's my wide receiver too in this class right now, dominant age 18, age 18 breakout season, 37% of his college offense uh, with the receiving touchdowns and receiving yards market share. He had all three of his seasons. He had tw- over 20 po- PPR points per game. He had in that age 18 season, he had 1.62 yards per team attempt. And that is elite level. And it just shows it's a mixture. And I haven't really talked about it much, but yards per attempt or scrim yards per play, however you want to phrase it, is a great, it combines efficiency along with volume. 
into uh, it's one of the better because efficiency metrics don't really work, for, especially in college or in the NFL. But yards per attempt is uh, combines the the both of them together and is just incredibly incredibly effective when you're prospecting and when actually and for the NFL too. So the issue is is that he had injuries in year two. And so he only played four games, I think. And then last year he opted out, opted back in really, or this season, very awkward situation. Mm -hmm. But talking to my man, uh, Zach Reed, he said that he's everything that he saw in his rookie year, he was doing in the games that he actually played. Um, And everything that he said that he saw in the film, he's going to be able to create a ton of separation. He's going to not need to be schemed up. He's not going to have to be like a, a Tavon Austin or anything like that. He's going to be able to create for himself big playability. He can, he can score. He can do a lot. And I think what I like most about Rondell Moore is, is his price. There are some people who are high on him like me or like Zach Reed, but other people don't have him until the, the, until the early second round in their super flex drafts. I don't have to pay the Jamar chase price to get Rondell Moore. And I think he's got an amazing PPR floor because he's going to vacuum up targets at the NFL level and someone who does an NFL team who takes more, they're going to like him. Like they're, they're drafting him to play him how he plays. They're not like uh, trying to fit him as an outside wide receiver who plays down the field. They're going to draft him to play him like he played in college. And size does not matter at all. As far as NFL ability, I mentioned this early on and I just Mm want to reiterate it. There is nothing in my database that says that size matters as far as fantasy production. It just, it doesn't matter. BM, like BMI, it doesn't matter. I don't want to go down I, that road either. But yeah, <laughs> size. I mean, Rondell Moore has a great BMI too, but it just doesn't matter. He's going. He can succeed at his height because of the way he plays and the skills that he has on the field. I, I love me some Rondell Moore. I wish I could say more about him besides just breakout age. I think he's going to get the draft capital. I think it just. Oh gosh, I love Rondell Moore. <laughs> uh, so I hope any of the ladies watching out there heard that size does not matter uh, <laughs> sorry sorry i had to <laughs> no that's good and i like what you said there about the the way that the team is going to draft him because the good thing about him is that you know that it's cut and dry what he's going to be used at in the nfl um, you don't have to worry about whether he's going to be misused you know that he's going to come into that slot role and you know that um that will ideally lead to a bunch of volume as long as he's getting the playing time which um he definitely will. I'm curious, where do you think, uh, where do you think he could get drafted in the NFL draft? Like, where do you think the NFL teams are going to draft him? I personally think he has the best. I think he has the widest range of landing spots that I would get excited for. I think he could play with a Justin Herbert out in LA. That would be exciting to go along with. In that offense, you've got there, there's a lot of options there. But my, I actually Zach Reed mentioned Buffalo in our podcast recently. Uh, I really like that idea of taking over the, the um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Cole, Cole Beasley. Beasley. Yeah. Diggs, be, uh, more, uh, more and Jer- Josh Allen. Like, yeah, that's exciting to me. And the one, my personal favorite, I really would love to pair him with Tua and have, because Tua is pretty good at that, that short immediate game and Rondell Moore can get some yak and just really add a lot to that Miami off or that Miami offense. So a lot of play and then like i'm a pats fan i would love him on the pats so yeah mm-hmm. a lot of places that i would love to have ronda more I, I can't really think of a place that i wouldn't want him maybe cleveland if ty hilton replacement no thank you 
Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> usage because yeah. I loved Great I loved call. what you said about the usage with him. I thought that was a, a really good point to make with Rondell. Mm-hmm. Another one I'll throw out there just because I've been kind of liking the thought of one of these slot after the catch guys going there is Green Bay as the uh, number two to Devontae Adams. That could be really nice in that that window of Aaron Rodgers that they've got left. Rand Rond uh R- Cobb like Cobb reincarnated, like Cobb in his yeah. prime. What that totally. would be exciting. Yeah, new toy for A Rod, hopefully. Um totally opposite end of the um physical makeup uh category or whatever you want to call it. Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU, Dave. Um, this is one of the few guys that we've mentioned who has some size. He's six three. I believe um, tall, lean playmaker. I think he's got pretty smooth speed, um, but yeah, he's uh, you know, he didn't get a ton of production, not like a huge, huge season by any means, but he did have a lot of touchdown production, which was really nice. Um, I was seeing almost a little bit of DJ Chark in them when I was watching him. I probably should look a little bit more, um, but I, I think there's like a lot of raw talent. Didn't have that full blow up, say, yardage season. Um, but I'm curious how you see him. Do you see him similar to that kind of raw big talent or or is he more polished than I'm I'm thinking? So the way I see him is that I, I, I was actually just told this recently. I think he stopped. He didn't he like opt out like halfway through the season. Yeah, after seven games. So yeah, that, I, I saw the seven game. I didn't know if he got injured or whatever. So he opted out, but he still broke out at age 20, even after he broke out. That just mm-hmm. shows me he, and my threshold. So people want to say like 18 age breakout. Oh, that must mean he's a better player than someone who broke out at age 20. I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, I don't think that age is, I don't really think because I'm someone's 18.9 years old means that, or they're better than someone who's 20.8 years old. I, I don't think age is used. I don't think age is a skill-based Right. Uh, metric like, oh, because you're th- 0.3 years older than someone that you're better than them. I don't, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. I know it helps yeah. for modeling purposes, but where you're born in the calendar doesn't make sense to me. But what does matter with, with Mitchell is, is that I find age 18 to 20 breakouts. That's the window that you want to hit. So he hits that check mark. So that's good that he, he did it. And he did. I haven't been able to find like a teammate metric or anything like that, that shows like that teammates matter in for when I'm prospecting, but he did have two amazing players on his team. And when they weren't there, he took over. So maybe I, I like, I understand why people like him. Uh, He's probably not going to be as high in my board as how other people might have him who watch a lot more film, but he hit, at least he, he broke out. He's, he's, he's not like a, there are some players where I'm like, People like uh, Tony, I think his name is. I don't yeah. see it with him at all. And at least with Marshall, I'm like, okay, I get it. I I, mm-hmm. I, I get what, what you guys are seeing that I might not be seeing with uh, with him. So, Yeah, and I think kind of to add to that with the Jefferson and Chase being ahead of him on the depth chart, he had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire catching 55 balls in 2019 as well. Um, so, you know, that's a lot, uh, a lot of guys commanding targets to weed through. And in those seven games this year, he actually led the team in receiving yards still without playing a full season. Um, so I think that's a nice little feather. And then if you look at uh, look at some of that market share stuff, he had over 23% of the receiving yards and over 40% of the team's receiving 
receiving touchdowns in only seven games. So um, I think there is some really big upside for me so far of the guys that I've dug into. I think he he could have some of the bigger upside just with that size as well and potential kit, contested catch and red zone weaponry. Um, but I'm I'm curious to see where he like how high he goes in the draft. Um, and and I think landing spot could be a big piece for Terrace Marshall as well. Um, but yeah, LSU always produces those nice wide receivers. So I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on him to see, you know, maybe that late second round, maybe early third round pick, depending on landing spot. But maybe, you know, I might be under underestimating what uh, what drafters are thinking. Uh, on Shane Swagger, my other co-host on Rookie Fever podcast, he, he had Mike Hicks or Matt Hicks. I think it's... Yeah. Matt, from the uh, dynasty yeah, draft Hicks. room i believe yeah yep. from, yeah the draft bible too yeah he, yeah he's on a bunch of stuff like yeah i think they're now with si um he really likes marshall and that was a really good episode too for rookie profile and rookie fever so i i there's a lot of people and then todd my co-host on tale two rivals really likes him i think he was a five-star recruit if i'm not mistaken i i that could be just yeah i might I'm not, not sure. i'm not uh i could be wrong on that one but there's a it lot of people five for sure though yeah, Debbie people really like him. And I, you know, a lot of people I respect like him. So I'm willing to listen on I'm, I'm now. I'm not going to ever put him above. So even if like Marshall gets better draft capital than Rondell Moore, unless Rondell Moore is like fifth, sixth round, there's no way that I'm going to ever have Marshall over Rondell Moore. Like there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Completely different players too, but um, definitely a lot more raw on the Marshall end from what I've seen so far. Um, The last guy we're going to talk about here, and I am going to ask for a sleeper wide receiver after we do this. So I guess maybe not the last guy we're going to talk about, but the second last. Amon Ra St. Brown out of UFC. Um, For me, he's going to be another member of uh, a future member of the acronym boys. This is kind of a... um, um, maybe not quite a boy band, but uh, an NFL crew that goes by acronyms. So there's Equinemius St. Brown, ESB, um, Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling, MVS, and uh, and now we have Amon Ross St. Brown. So I guess it's going to be ARSB. Um, so after digressing through all of that, um, <laughs> I think really personally for me, yeah, <laughs> I see what you did. Um, personally for me, I... I'm not too sure what to think about his data just yet. I think from watching some of the film that I've watched, he's best suited as a slot player. And, you know, he he played there for the most part in 2019. But um, much like I was talking about Rondale or Rashad Bateman earlier, how after Tyler Johnson left, he moved around a little bit more. Um, after Michael Pittman left, Amon Ross St. Brown moved a lot more as well. Uh, I'm curious what you think about his profile and how he projects in the NFL. Like, um, it's going to be one of those low a dot kind of target hog slot guys or can you do a little bit more do you think so it's funny that you said that he's a low a dot guy because the way i look at it he doesn't have a ton of receptions but his just the way that his profile was i would have actually guessed that he was more of an air yards guy but i guess he is close to the line of scrimmage so that just shows you how i don't i can't really i why rely on film people like what you're telling me to to tell me that but what stands out for me with a- the a- a- ARSB, what nice. uh, <laughs> is nice. that it's catching has- on, Ty. I'm telling you, it's going to freaking catch on, man. I didn't study stutter too bad either with that. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> that's something. But yeah, ARSB, he has the AJ team break at H. Yeah, give it to me. He, 
Yeah. And I actually see gymnastic shout out to gymnastic. Actually shout out to a lot of people in the chat. A lot of great people. I saw, uh, Dingus in there. I saw, uh, Toronto Dave shout out yep. to everyone in the TNA or the, in your chat. There are a lot of great guys here tonight. Throw but, out Zach yeah, Reed's are... Twitter as well. If you don't mind, I think it's at TikTok, uh, tick Tass or uh, whatever. I, yeah. At Tass assassin. assassin. Yeah. Tass it. Okay. I always wondered uh, if you, if it was a hard C or a soft C, but now we know. Ditto. There is yeah. some kind of inside joke with that because most people think it's tactic, but it is tacit assassin. Yeah. So I forget the actual, I'm early on. They explained it on the dynasty dummies, but I, I forget, but yeah, Zach Reed, I, he's a go-to for me. He is essential in my, in my he's process. A actually. great follow yeah. on Twitter. Like a must have follow yeah. for sure. He's from May. Hey, should we shout out a bunch of Canadian guys? He's another main guy. So shout out to, he's actually further North for me where he's from in Maine. He's from, so yeah, he's a true, well, not quite a true northerner, but yeah, he's he, yeah, he's uh he's a mainer. So, but anyway, back to a- ARSB. He what's what's great about him is that he has the age 18 breakout age. And he yeah, he did take kind of what's interesting is is that he he has a big jump in TDs. They didn't play as many games. I think was he from USC, I think. So that's Pac 12. So they did yeah. they played fewer games because of what was going on in, in on the West Coast with COVID. Um so whenever I see a, a huge TD, because I think he has something like a 40%, yeah, 43% uh, market share, combined market share this past season, and that's heavily weighted in, in TDs. And, it, and on a small sample size, that make that's just a he- little head scratcher, but he's a popular name. He's, he's a name people like a lot. I, mm-hmm. I've seen him, people talk about him a lot. What I see, age 18 breakout age, he's got decent... Um, percentage of his offense, his scrim yards per play are pretty solid. Like their at career average is over one. It's 1.12 career average for scrim yards is good. And he's got, you know, he's, he had over 21 PPR points per game. His last season, he's a, a three-year declare, or he's an early declare age 21 rookie. That's kind of how I meant where the process, I don't have a ton without draft capital and without landing spot. So numbers wise. Yeah. He's I, I'm, I'm, is he a target of mine? No, but I'm definitely thinking about him the second round, late sec, like mid second round of drafts. Yeah, I, I like me some some ARSB. See, it, it, once you say it a couple of times, it really starts to flow. <laughs> it's a little bit better. Yeah, it's a, maybe a little bit clunkier than ESB, but it's uh, it's not far off. Throw air yards in that sense, it's going to get tougher though. <laughs> air yards. SB. The air yards for ARSB. Um, I think you were onto something there, Trav. I'm just looking on PFF Air. He had four deep catches all season which is mm-hmm. ranked tied for 120th. I know they did definitely have a scaled back uh, uh, season, but yeah, 10 targets, 20 yards downfield, 10 to 19. Oh, yeah. He had okay. 14 targets. 24 of his targets were in the one to nine yard range downfield. A little bit of quarterback play in there. And I think personally, Amon Ra St. Brown is actually like a, <laughs> a, a really high upside prospect. Like I actually am kind of interested in him from a fantasy perspective, especially. And yeah, uh, who, who were you guys talking about before? Wondering about if they were a five-star recruit. Uh, uh, Terrence Marshall. Yeah, yeah. So he was, he was, and so was so was Amon Ross St. Brown. They were both uh, five-star recruits coming out of high school from two four seven. And one last thing about ARSB is he was had a lot of not a ton, but he was over 20, 20 uh, returns in college. He had a little dyna- sort of little dynamism. USC is a big-time college program. And he was one of their playmakers that they wanted getting the ball. So on special teams, so that, that is a plus in his corner as well. Yeah. The thing I liked was versatility. Like we, he didn't get a bunch of receptions downfield, but he, 
Um, he ran, ran some routes down there and you did see him go up a little bit. I didn't see him have to, um, fight for balls downfield very much at all. So I want to see a little bit more of that. I've, I've got to watch some more of his games from what I've seen. He, I haven't seen that from him. Um, but I do like some of that versatility in seeing that he was moved around a little bit more in 2020, as opposed to like almost over, I think it was over 95% of his snaps were from yeah, the slot seven. in 2019. Yeah, it was like 750 of his like 840 something snaps in the slot. In yeah, so and then you know 25 percent or so this past season. Mm-hmm. And he looked like he had pretty quick feet after the catch as well. His yards after the catch numbers actually aren't very good, uh, but I think. I think he can do some of that. In 2019, it was a lot better for him. Actually, he had 414 of his 1,042 yards after the catch. So he can do it. He just didn't necessarily uh, have that pan out for him in 2020. Um, very good, Dave. So I think uh, I think I want to get a sleeper wide receiver from you. Somebody whose data maybe pops out or somebody who you think might not be talked about as much. What are you thinking? So... Quickly, before I get into my sleeper, there's three players that weren't mentioned here. Tyler right. Wallace, yeah. Elijah Moore, Diami Brown. Those are three players that I have circled as that I can't wait to see what the draft capital is. I want to see how, you know, I want to see how how they run, how their athleticism is. Now, athleticism, like I said, overrated, but I still like to, you know, I like to, it, it, I like to see it anyway. It's it's fun. It's, but uh, there, I like seeing the bar graphs on playerprofiler.com. So, uh, but shout out to Master June seventy. Our buddy Mark is actually the uh, designer of the player profile graphics. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, but that being said, so I, and uh, Linda Lyons, who I see is in the chat now, that's her bo- her boy from Oklahoma State. I have Town Wallace. I'm struggling. Who I like more, Devonta Smith or Town Wallace right now? I really like Town Wallace. So, and that's someone who I'm probably targeting very high in the second round of my drafts. So, but moving on to my actual sleeper is Isaiah McCoy out of Kent State. And I think that's the MAC conference. He is also a three, he's a early declare, age 21 rookie. He played three seasons at Kent State. I think at Kent he I, I have three seasons. I'm not going to, I could look to see how, where he played before last season. But yeah, Kent graduated from Kent State. He, so what he did is he got better every single season. Uh, he had broke out at age 19 and he had finished um, he finished, sorry, I'm, I'm looking here. He had, he actually had an age or a 30% threshold breakout too. He was over 30% of their offense and 35% as a true junior. So they're and very exciting what McCoy is doing there too. And he had a, a average, he hit an important th- 0.95 career average scrim yards per play. And he had his final season at Kent state. Now that's a small program. So you have to realize that there aren't as many great players as, at like an LSU or whatever, what have you. But he had, in his final season, he had over 25.1 PPR points per game. He had some returnability. So yeah, Isaiah McCoy right now is my small school guy. Peter Howard and Jer, uh, Jarek Backus, I think, is um, they, those are two guys who have, are high on him as well too. But yeah, I really like some. Um, we're running. Okay, yeah, there we go. Isaiah McCoy. <laughs> I love it. I, love it. <laughs> I just got I the message about we're going too long. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's cool. That's cool. I was just checking. The, I, we're, we are totally game to go long on the True North pod, my man. I was just checking if you're good to go, go long. So, um, yeah, let's keep on ripping, my friend. I love uh, I love what you said about Diami Brown there. He's kind of one that I'm looking at as well. Um, you know, we were going to sneak some more wide receivers on the sheet, but as you can tell, we uh, we got to keep our keep our time crunched down. Um, I just love the back to back two or back to back thousand yard receipt 
receiving seasons out of Brown, as well as 20 touchdowns the last two years, improved after the catch, improved on his drop. So that's somebody that I'm looking at beyond those guys that we talked about before. Ty, you're up, my man. Yeah, we're going to rock quarterbacks. So this is definitely going to be like somewhat of a super flex conversation because I'll skip Trevor Lawrence, you know, kind of goes without saying that he is really going to be the one-on-one in almost every super flex rookie draft. Um, but for a couple of reasons, I think getting to know the other quarterbacks behind him is super important. First off, three or four could go inside the top 10 picks and top 10 draft picks start games and they start games in year one and they usually blow up in their sophomore seasons or at least uh, mightily improve. And like I'm talking over 80% of quarterbacks drafted in the top 10 in the last decade have started 10 plus games in their rookie season. Sorry, 12 plus games in their rookie season. Uh, the exceptions are guys like Jake Walker, Jared Goff as uh, the 101 under Jeff Fisher. Pat Mahomes got Alex Smith as a rookie and then Tua last year. And actually thinking of Tua, the other reason we need to get a grip on these guys behind Trevor Lawrence is that quarterbacks making that decision can be really important in a dynasty rookie super flex draft. Uh, so thinking about Tua versus Herbert last year, and you know we saw in 2018 with Sam Darno, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Lamar, even saw it a bit in 2017 with the likes of uh, Trubisky going ahead of Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, uh, when a lot of us were still learning what Superflex was all about. So I think choosing between the quarterbacks can be ultra important. And it just, you'll really feel that in your dynasty league. So I, I'm really happy to hit some of these guys. But the other thing I really wanted to bring up is that, you know, we've seen some teams be hyperactive here in the quarterback market in the last couple of weeks. And the Stafford trade really brought it to the forefront. You saw the hyperactivity from teams like Denver, Carolina, and the, the Goff-led Lions now, uh, who all picked top 10 in the NFL draft. So Dave, do you interpret some of that as a bit of a condemnation on this quarterback class? Or do you actually think we're just going to see some more trade-ups in the NFL draft with all these teams vying for quarterback? I just see... It, that's a, I think that's a really great question, and I think we could talk about that for 20 minutes, honestly, because I guess what, what I take away from that question is I think we're seeing a a changing of the guard at quarterback. The older quarterbacks, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers getting older. Tom Brady looks like he's going to play forever, but he's, he's getting older and older. Ben Roethlisberger, there's some drama coming out of Pittsburgh today with that. So we're seeing a big, a, a very major change of the guard, and then we saw some decent QB talent come into the league last year with Justin Herbert. I still like Tua. I know that's pretty unpopular at this point, but I, I still have a lot of faith in Tua. Didn't turn the ball over at like a lot, which it says, I think that was what they're really asking to do on that team. Mm -hmm. But so, so I think what does that say as far as are these QBs not very good? No, I, I don't necessarily believe that at all because I think that's one, I know you we're not really talking about Trevor Lawrence, but I think that's why Urban Meyer went to, to, Jacksonville is because it's Trevor Lawrence is what people are saying is a generational type talent. Uh, but I like a lot of, uh, no, I actually should say this. I need to, I have, I think I've lost enough bets at this point and gotten QBs wrong enough to say that I suck at evaluating quarterbacks. <laughs> like, it's really tough to evaluate <laughs> quarterbacks through data. It is. There's and this is so, a really tough question. So, however, I do like, I really like Justin Fields and I want to like, Trey Lance a lot. So Trey Lance right now yeah. is my QB three, not a lot to go on there. And I know he played in FCS school, but you know, not throwing a pick is pretty impressive in a season and throwing 28 touchdowns and, and it's rushing floor. And the thing is that I have to tell myself is rushing matters for these quarterbacks. You've got even Trevor Lawrence has some, a, a little bit of a rushing floor, 
Uh, Justin Fields, that's going to be the most he can throw, but he's got some great rushing ability. Uh, Mac Jones, not quite as much, but Trey Lance, yeah, he's got it. And then even Zach Wilson has a a, a semi-okay rushing floor. And we just see... Yeah, underrated. We just see every year how the Konami the Konami code, how impactful that is in fantasy football. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, That's thank you, Rich Rebar. Kind of like, yeah. I I think you nailed so many so many things there. Like uh, Zach Wilson, I think is a little bit underrated. Played shortstop, you know, he, he has some athleticism. He's not a, a duck in the in the pocket by any means. I am actually, I think he's super creative. Like he has kind of that X factor to escape. You know what I mean? So I'm actually really excited to see what he looks like at the next level. I think Justin Fields was great. Would you be comfortable spending a top half of the first round pick in a super flex rookie draft on Justin Fields though? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's my one Oh two hands down. Like, uh, yeah. cool. some people that I respect to have him at one Oh one. I wouldn't go that far just because I think Lawrence has a lot safer floor, but the thing with fields is, is that rushing, you cannot just, mm-hmm. especially you can get a lot of immediate success. Maybe Justin, um, Justin Fields. Maybe Trevor needs a little bit longer to develop as a true passer. Who, who knows? Maybe not. He might not. But Justin Fields, day one, like Lamar, when he came in, had that rushing ability. That Now, he's no, he's not Lamar Jackson. I don't want to say that. But uh, just that is so important. We saw it with Mitch Trubisky, his rushing floor, what that does, that made him a streamable quarterback at times. Uh, yeah, I, I like Justin Fields a lot. And I'm, I'm in a 16-team startup right now, Superflex IDP League, and he went – I think he went like pick 18 overall. So yeah, he's so, and that's with a lot of sharp people too. So Mm -hmm. yeah, he's, he's, I I like me some Justin Fields a lot. And, and Trey Lance is the other one that stood out because Trey Lance, Justin Fields feel like the two that could be game breakers, right? For your dynasty team. They're the ones who could actually make that big impact. And it seems like we're saying there's a changing of the guard, this bottleneck that's occurring at the position. Uh, it seems almost more important than ever to have that, uh, you know, high end. It's almost like missing out on an elite running back uh, in regular leagues when you're in super flex and don't have one of those game breakers. And he definitely, the size, he's just a huge human being. And, uh, you know, he has that deadly, you know, he has the, the rocket arm. I think accuracy obviously will come into question. Uh, he's really just a tough one to wrap my head around right now, because obviously if a team goes out and, you know, goes out on a limb and takes this guy in the top 10 in the NFL draft. I am going to be all over Trey Lance, but yeah, definitely accuracy would be the worry there. Uh, and worrying if the NFL is just like a shock to his system, as you alluded to. Uh, but I, I really think like you go back to all these outside zone schemes that everyone's running and everything. I just think he, he fits so well in an offense like that. We just saw Taysom Hill have success as well, basically off the back of just play action and rushing. So I think Trey Lance could allow a team to have success with him as his quarterback. And I think he could blow up fantasy if, uh, if he was to hit for sure. So Mac Jones, I didn't really, uh, I either missed or didn't really get your thoughts on him. You know, how do we try and place value on this guy before the NFL draft? I struggle the most with Mac Jones. So I did, I haven't really talked about my QB process much besides the rushing part, but I really, really, and this is true for NFL quarterbacks too. I care a ton about accuracy accuracy to me is what i think that's if you can complete the completing the ball is how you keep your job that like that's a very vital and it sounds stupid to say or captain obvious but it is a huge part of maintaining your job is and and especially in super flex you want your quarterback to hit that second contract when you're investing a top three super flex pick you need that pick to hit 
because if you don't, it's just going to prolongate your or elongate whatever that term. See, this is the mainer in me just making up words. Um, <laughs> That's us just, keeping like, our guests. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's going to really extend your window. It's if you miss on a superflex QB, now they they retain their value because people say you have the QBs develop. But if you eventually, if you end up missing and you don't get out from him, that can really set your 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 fantasy team back. So I need accuracy. I don't want guys to turn the ball over. And QBR matters a lot to me. Uh, adjusted yards per attempt is a big deal. It's just a simple adjustment where it takes yards per attempt and it weights touchdowns and interceptions into the formula. So, and and then also complete. I have a hacked Josh Hermsmeyer stat of completion percentage over expected. I don't actually have it readily available here, but I really do rely on it a lot in my process because it, it basically it it factors in how your uh, strength of schedule into your, in like in college defenses into your, into the formula. So that matters a lot when it comes to quarterback play. But so getting to Mac Jones is same thing with Najee Harris, same thing with some like Jalen Waddle is like, there's a lot of competition. A lot of quarterbacks are at Alabama. Mac Jones is super accurate though, but he doesn't have that rushing upside. So I worry what his overall draft capital is going to be. Um, and I mean, it's awful easy when you've got five, five-star recruits on your offensive line or, or four-star recruits <laughs> too blocking for you. So yeah. this is when I would actually like to get to my pro football focus data and look at his completion percentage in a clean pocket for, and, and, um, and look at these other players too, because that's a great way to adjust for line play. And I, 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 I'm I'm holding off on Mac Jones here, but he he's got things I care about. I care about accuracy a hell hell of a lot. And if he gets first round capital with a decent opportunity at starting within the first like year, the yeah. Oh my gosh, the Saints, the Pittsburgh. I think it's mocked there. People Steelers, talk about him in yeah. England. That I could see myself falling for Mac Jones. I I he he didn't wasn't he's older. He doesn't. So another thing too, uh, Jim yeah. Sonis at number fire a big stat that he has is games played matters a lot for quarterbacks because, and especially at a younger age, because it shows one, when you start on the field sooner as a quarterback, it shows it's sort of like with wide receiver breakout age. It, um, it matters. It, it just, it just shows your overall talent, what the offense and the, and the program believes in you. However, with COVID and how this whole, the whole, like it's tough to rely too much on games played in this class. And now that didn't affect Mac Jones, but, and I under, I could, you can explain away why, but he doesn't have necessarily the experience. Experience matters a lot for quarterback and decision-making. Yeah. There's a lot that you can't measure with quarterbacks. Games played kind of actually does to a certain extent. And that's my one concern with Mac Jones is he didn't have a lot of experience. And when he did have it, he was a 21 and 22 year old. And he's been in that pro. It, it's just, there's some red flags there, but I think, I, it, it, I, yes. So real oh, quick on Mac Jones totally... there. Sorry, yeah, Ty. I just wanted to finish off Dave's point there that Mac Jones clean uh, when not under pressure, 80.5 completion percentage, 33 touchdowns, three picks. Interesting. I'm curious how that stacks up against everyone else, but um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And that is a huge, like ask Trav, I've already done a little nerdy spreadsheet myself of all PFF rookie quarterback data, because that is huge for me as well as how a quarterback does under pressure. 
uh, is one of those major ones that I use. And you, you mentioned everything else that I use in my process. And that would have been, yeah, the only thing that I definitely add. And then yeah, you even went and mentioned it with Mac Jones. So I totally agree. And just to go like games played, it's not supernatural. Like quarterback has got to be the easiest position in all of sports that somebody would jump out at you in practice. If you know what I mean? Like that guy can throw the ball to that guy and this guy can't do it as well. Like, it just seems like you'd be able to, to notice a deep ball off play action in practice pretty easily. So I think games played, it makes sense that you want your quarterback to play. And we just see the the horrible history that we have, even with guys who go in the first round, like a Dwayne Haskins or Mitch Trubisky or these, these one year starters. And, and two, like games play, like it incorporates, I think it's a measurement for things that we can't really identify looking at the numbers. It's like how much they work off the field, like especially accuracy too. like making a lot of accuracy doesn't come down to your arm talent. It make, it's making the right decision. It's like following the reads. Yeah. And those two, when you can, those two stats, accuracy and games played, when you can look at those together, I think it talks a lot about just, I'm not just talking about arm talent. I'm talking about the stuff that isn't measured or is, is tough to measure for quarterback play that matters between the years that matters so much for, for quarterbacks. So there's a big old Gators quarterback that we didn't hit, but I say we skip them trap. What say you? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, uh, we might as well get into these tight ends here. We're gonna, we can talk a little Kyle Trask as we move through the process, but uh, sticking in Florida, let's move us into the tight ends. Obviously, the main guy that everyone's talking about is Kyle Pitts. Everyone and their dog knows that he's a generational tight end, obviously. Um, six foot six, 240, runs like a gazelle, big play red zone machine. Um, essentially, he's just a big wide receiver with, uh, with a tight end designation. I'm going to call him the anti-Chase Claypool. Um, just because it's totally flip-flopped as far as their uh what what position people are saying that they should be. Um, but I'm curious, Dave, if uh if he's being touted as this big wide receiver, like should we have wide receiver production expectations out of Kyle Pitts, or would you say that is um underestimating the the tight end learning curve? Yeah, I think people forget how hard it is what I mean, is he going to play wide receiver? Is he just going to be a wide receiver? Or is it that like, it's tough mm-hmm. to say what his, is he just a slot guy? Or, like it's really tough to say with Kyle Pitts because there's the, I think tight end is probably one of the most difficult positions to play in the NFL, in my opinion, because you've got to block and you've got to, you, you not only do you have to block for passing, but you got to do run blocking. You've got to fate. You've got to take a physical punishment. There is a ton that goes into the tight end position along with the injury rate and just the develop. If you just look at the developmental curve for tight ends, they don't hit. It's like even trade uh, Hawkinson's been a, was one of the best prospects that we've supposedly had in the last couple of years. And yeah, he had a good season last year, but he's not like uh, the separator for you on your fancy team. Yeah. He's, he's getting you valuable points at a position that people aren't necessarily scoring a lot on, but he's not Travis Kelsey and people are already, I've, I've seen a lot of people. I, I actually can't tell with Kyle Pitts if people are being serious or not that they already have him as their tight end one in Dynasty. I think they're be- <laughs> these people are being serious. Like I legitimately see people. Oh, totally. I've seen him for sure at tight end three in Dynasty for some people. Um, number one would be pretty wild. <laughs> and the thing is, is look, I I've fallen head over heels for I, like the, my joke on Tail Two Rivals is David Joku. I I mean he mm. he was another Florida guy. 
guilty. Oh my god! I just my wife just whisper, whispers in Joku into my into my ear, and and that's all it takes. <laughs> like just in Joku, in Joku, and I'm like, oh my, oh let's go, baby. So it's, I love tight ends, but the thing is, is I why do I? So if I have to, I, I probably have to take a mid superflex pick to make sure that I'm going to get it first first round pick and superflex to get him right. Mm-hmm. I, that's probably mm-hmm. if I want to make sure I get him, I got to have at least the 106, 105, 106. Yeah, and exactly, exactly. And to do that, why not just see if he hits and then invest that kind of capital into him? That, that's mm-hmm. my point of view is like, all right, let someone else take that risk. And then once he, he shows me something year one, then I'll give him the Godfather offer. I'll play. Yeah, sure. I love tight ends, but just let someone else take that risk. And then if he shows it to me, I'll put the money in because honestly, and I understand with Kyle Pitts that visually he does a ton visually. But people will say that like he made uh, the the I know we, is it Trask? Yeah, he made Trask, the PB yeah. Trask because yeah. he makes these in, in, insane, incredible acrobatic catches. I, I wouldn't know, but I've I've actually seen a couple highlights. But suppose, <laughs> but honestly, I'm looking at his stats, and he really didn't explode until year three. He was on the same level as Brevin Jordan until year three. That's, and he just exploded more than Brevin Jordan did. Mm-hmm. So that's, and also it's, it is tougher to also scout tight ends without their athleticism, without their draft capital. Yeah. I don't quite, I mean, he does have some nice numbers his last year, but is he some, I don't, I don't quite under, from a numbers perspective, I don't quite get the excitement. That's all. I, I'm not saying that, it, that people are wrong. I just need some more information. Mm-hmm. And I think it's some of that, leans towards the tape side just because of the athlete he is the size and and the after the catch ability um i think i'm kind of in lockstep with you there as well where i'll let somebody else take the risk because of that tight end learning curve another guy um you mentioned hawkinson noah fant was supposed to be a guy that you can just plunk into the slot he's going to do really good work after the catch and he's going to light it up um he's been decent for fantasy but he hasn't been like what people are touting Kyle Pitts as obviously. And I don't think Fant is on that level, um, but another big receiving guy that pro- projects to be um, like an extension of a wide receiver, essentially that just didn't pan out quite that early. Um, I always kind of wait a little bit on tight ends and I'm totally okay with taking replacement value as opposed to investing in those big dogs um, aside from having a, a fair bit of Travis Kelsey in dynasty startups. But <laughs> I, I have a question for you, for you guys. Yes. Um, I, in my head, just looking, I see a lot of Evan Ingram type, I know Evan Ingram type similarities. Like people are talking about, is he a wide receiver? Is he tight end? A lot of receptions in college. People loved Evan Ingram coming out. People had the same conversations of him going early. Oh, he's going to be just a tight end playing wide receiver. He's going to, and that's going to be a huge positional advantage. And then Evan Ingram went out and actually had a pretty decent rookie season. Yeah. Great rookie season. Yeah. And people were all loved him. And now look where Evan Ingram is. And, and, and I know that's not a lot of it. Yeah, he has drops and, and everything. I'm not saying that that Kyle Pitts is going to be Evan Ingram. I'm just saying we saw someone have an insane rookie year. Not insane, but a very good rookie year. And this is where he's valued now. People are just putting him in, in throw-ins in, in some tight end premium leagues. It, it Yeah, Evan Ingram's it, rookie season is Kyle Pitts' 2021 ceiling because it was one of the three best you know, rookie tight end seasons we've had in the last decade or 15 years or whatever it was uh, going back, like including Jeremy Shockey in that sample. That's all I remember. 
Uh, and Kyle Pitts, like, uh, it's just, it's, it's a hard sell to, because if we remember back, it was very opportunity driven because everyone was just injured in, in, for the giants that season. And yeah, I just, I couldn't agree with you more because Kyle Pitts is going to go top 12 in the NFL draft. He's going to go to a less appetizing situation or environment. And, you know, it's not even that comparable because Kyle Pitts played a lot more of his snaps in line than Evan Ingram did. And I'm not sure, I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he's going to be as athletic as Evan Ingram. I mean, Evan Ingram blew us all away athletically. I think of him more like a Darren Waller, Kyle Pitts. Like, mm-hmm. Darren Waller. I was thinking a Darren little Waller bit of Jimmy could be Graham. Used in the intermediate. Yeah, totally. And I think, like, Darren Waller could be being used in the intermediate more. He just plays with Derek Carr and John Gruden. For sure, for sure. Athleticism matters a lot, too, for tight end. Like, if we want to talk about, yeah. like, it matters for running backs, it actually kind of there's some people that want to talk about it for quarterbacks too. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get you that. But um, yeah, it's a, it has a lot more uh, predictive power for tight ends than it does most other positions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So rounding out the tight ends, you mentioned Brevin Jordan. We've also got other names like Pat Fryermuth, uh, Kenny Yaboa and Hunter Long. Um, that was my turn to potentially, um, butcher a name. I don't know if I got that right for Friarmouth, but I'll take it. Uh, um, Dave, which one of these guys to you stands out as maybe the second best fantasy option, uh, for the tight end position that we might want to take in our drafts as, as a long-term option. So for me, I'm actually going to go off the board and say Trey McKitty, just so I can name my fantasy team after him. Um, because, again, <laughs> but no, but, uh, in, in all seriousness, no, I, I mean, I, I do like McKitty. He's interesting, but. The best part about tight ends is you in Superflex tight end premium leagues, or especially in two tight end leagues, you can nail, you can put people are going to be gobbling up Kyle Pitts in the first round. I can realistically get Brevin Jordan in the third round, possibly get Fryermuth in the third round, get Trey McKitty. The all these players are going to be available third, fourth round, and, and maybe off the, the scrap heap too. This mm-hmm. is actually a decent rookie. This is a last year's so, rookie yeah. tight end class where kind of now I spend the they're my last thing that I check off on. So I actually this is actually the <laughs> the first time that I've looked at Kyle Pitts was an hour before our show, just because I was like, you know what? I I, I gotta get some Kyle Pitts. I gotta understand, but like what everyone's talking about, besides just what I've heard. But this is from what I've just seen looking really quick tonight. There's some there's some decent, interesting tight ends where I we could see probably some of the most tight ends drafted that we've seen in a long time. I, I think that's a very real possibility. For me, Brevin Jordan is interesting because I think it was Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts before the season started. That's I think yeah. everyone had them on the same level. And uh, no, you can go. sorry, I was just gonna hop in. Like it's it's he's the guy who's gonna play in the slot almost exclusively at the next level. I mean, he played 261 of his 460 snaps this year out of the slot in college, 14 yards per reception in 2019, over 15 yards per reception this past season. So I think he's definitely the clear arbitrage play on on Kyle Pitts. And people like Fryermuth too, who who uh, he's got some interest, like twenty three receptions in four games. That's that's mm-hmm. not, that's, that's pretty good. And actually, Kenny Kiboa or whatever his name is, I actually hadn't looked at him until tonight. That's something that jumps on the page. There's just Hunter Long had some decent raw stats to go with. Um, the thing with Yeboah that kind of jumps off the page to me is that he does is a little touchdown dependent in his in his scoring. So, but overall, I. I I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing a lot of dart throws on tight ends, and the I like on leagues that have deep rosters, two tight end leagues, which I actually play a lot of two tight end leagues, and and 
Um, I love yeah, taking risks on tight end. I, I, I just they're awesome. I really enjoyed tight end uh, take having a developmental tight end because I think you have to in a lot of leagues just with how the tight end position is. And this is the the uh, this is definitely the year to t- have some some uh, darts to throw on some tight ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And Fruman, Fryerman yeah. also, uh, Fryermuth, sorry, uh, Fryermuth also <laughs> played a ton out of the slot too. He played more out of the slot than he did in line uh, in 2020. So I, I like him too. Just definitely not as like explosive, not as many big plays mm-hmm. as, uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it's a super intriguing tight end class. But to go back to the whole point off the top, that tight end has that incubation period. It has that longest learning curve, the, the, the career arc uh, for a tight end, in my opinion, doesn't start till year three from like a fantasy perspective, I'll buy a tight end who has 500 receiving yards or whatever. Like there's some thresholds that we can swear by for rookie tight ends. And if they hit those marks, we can buy, obviously I want to see that athleticism, how they're used as well. But yeah, I think uh, having sobering expectations for all these guys in years one and two, including Kyle Pitts is probably the, the proper process. Yeah, maybe this is the wave of players that finally gives us some depth at the tight end position, right, guys? Ugh. Yeah, tight end's gonna be better next year. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's gonna be it's gonna be much deeper. Lots lots of youth coming up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, that's what we got, Dave. Appreciate you kicking it with us for so long. We almost got to the two hour mark, which um, I will say we are no strangers to. But I appreciate you sticking <laughs> around. Um, it's been an awesome show. I want to say thanks to everybody who was in the chat as well. There was people who stuck around with us for the whole two hours as well. So thanks to them for chatting. Um, Dave, before we ride out, I want you to tell us everywhere we can find you, everywhere to get your content um, and what you're working on throughout the rest of this offseason. So you can find me at FF underscore Spaceman on Twitter. I'm a writer for DLF and I am also co-host of the Tale Two Rivals podcast and a co-host for the Rookie Fever podcast. Uh, Tale of Two Rivals is a dynasty podcast where we have my co-hosts and I, we have different points of view and we try to reach a consensus. Rookie Fever is with Shane Swagger and Michael Finero, and we just spend all year talking about rookies. So this is the, so this is, we actually haven't even gotten to the 2021 class much because we're still talking 2020 because there's just so much to talk about rookies, but, and you can find my, me, my, um, a lot of my work on the Patreon, a lot of free uh, free data that you can can't all in one place that you can't find. It, you're just gonna have to do a lot of work to bring it all into one place. So check that out. And some things I'm gonna be working on this year. I'm, we're gonna be doing our rookie profiles for Rookie Fever. I'm going to be doing a lot. I'm gonna start really amping up my my rookie talk. And but also too, a lot I'm gonna spend a lot on is trying to work with, like try to work with some like BMI. I'm doing a lot of research on BMI and why I don't think it's impressive or useful trying to refine maybe breakout age talk about different ways to measure breakout age and also uh everyone likes to talk about dominator rating i want to try to find a better way to calculate dominator rating so those are just a couple of things that i'm thinking about but yeah yeah guys this was honestly i was thrilled that you guys had me on here i have just you, you guys have so many great guests and just to be on the on the show talk to you guys this is my first chance i've really talked to you guys face-to-face at all. And I, I, this was really an enjoyable experience. So I really appreciate you guys having me on and I couldn't believe that the chat was, was freaking hopping. It was really cool. So thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, man. I, I think we would echo that statement right back at you, Dave. This was great. We got a lot of information out. Um, you know, we uh, we definitely uh, had you doing most of the heavy lifting on, on all the questions and stuff. So we appreciate that. And it was all good stuff. And um, Ty, you got any parting shots before I ride us out? No, I, uh, you know, it's just starting to set in that we had the spaceman on. So yeah, I just, I can't thank you enough. I can't tell you how much of your shit I have used. And I just like what you do, Dave, is save me from so much time and work. So I just, you know, I can't, I really am so appreciative for, for folks like yourself, like Peter Howard, who inspired you to be where you are. You know, I just, I love the whole chain of the fantasy community. And I think you're, uh, an incredibly invaluable member with incredibly invaluable resources to offer that community. So I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Pleasure was 100% ours. Thank, thank you. Guys. Always a place Honestly. to stay. You're too kind, Always too kind. To stay in Canada. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to definitely, I'm coming back for the chat now. Now that I know that like at Wednesday, 10 o'clock, I'm coming back for the chat next week. I'm, I'm looking beautiful. To and then we would love to have you back on the show as well, because rookie season is only going this way, my friend, and that is up. So we're really <laughs> excited for that. And I will definitely be in the DMs. Um, like I said, thanks to everybody for continuing to rate, review, download, and subscribe. We really, really appreciate that. Go check us out if you're watching. Make sure you subscribe and follow us and give us that courtesy download of the audio pod if, you, if you're not inclined to listen, which I think you'd be missing out. So, um, yeah, and another last thank you to, of course, Viridian Global, where you can get all the fantastic True North merch. Um, with that, fellas, I'm going to take us on out of here. Till next week, everybody. Peace.